On January 20, 1994, in a small vineyard church in Toronto, Canada, a supposed outpouring of God's Spirit occurred in a small meeting of 120 people. Over the course of the next 12 and a half years, meetings would continue six nights a week, and Charisma Magazine reported that an estimated 4,000 churches in England and another 7,000 churches in North America had been impacted by this new revival movement. A little over a year later, on June 18th, Father's Day, 1995, a similar revival broke out at Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida. Over the course of the next five years, the church would open its doors for Tuesday through Saturday evening revival services that would accommodate thousands of people who arrived and waited in the church parking lot before dawn for a chance to enter the packed sanctuary, some even camping overnight waiting for the doors to open. Leaders of the revival would later estimate that over 200,000 people from all walks of life received Christ as a result of the revival. Some 13 years later, in April of 2008, a controversial Canadian faith healer began holding revival services in Lakeland, Florida. The revival attracted up to 10,000 attendees nightly and around 30,000 over the week. By May 29th, it was estimated that over 140,000 people from over 40 nations had visited and 1.2 million had watched via the internet. But were all of these recent revivals truly moves of God? How do we understand their impact? And what do we make of their controversies? It's a little chilly here in Tennessee. Gabe, what's it like this morning? Give us the weather report. Well, it's breezy, and uh, I don't know what the temperature is, but yeah, when I woke up this morning, I was like, dude, I'm opening up all the windows, the doors, just letting that cool air in, letting the mm. cats out. <laughs> and, <laughs> letting my army of two dozen cats go outside and do their thing. <laughs> I was trying my best not to bring up cats in this episode, but I feel like, I don't know. I'm sorry. kind of have to at this Yeah, point. but I think... Could be called beards, beards and cats. Beards and cats. Point. Yeah, I think it appeals to our female audience for some reason. I think they they mm. want to follow the saga mm-hmm. of the cats, and they are diminishing. The cats are diminishing yes. in, in number. Yes, yes. There's a mighty revival happening at the Rutledge um, There is the cat there revival. Uh, yesterday, Stacey and the boys yeah. went to this big homeschool co-op here in town. At um, they have you know a few hundred kids that come together, and their moms and stuff that come together. And they do classes and stuff. So Stacy made a stack of flyers, like yay big, with like pictures of the cutest pictures she could find these little kittens. And she left a stack there somewhere on a counter. And yeah, right away it prompted like someone to call and be like, "I want one." So, like, yeah, mm, there Crazy. you go. That's a that's a good market for lots of lots of cats. It's homeschool yeah, families. Yeah, I came downstairs. You're like we we have ten children mm-hmm. already. What's what's a, what's a few more mouths yeah. to feed? Jebediah, go get some coal. Feed these cats. <laughs> <laughs> I can make that joke now because we're homeschooling our kids. No man, so. yeah. I, I came downstairs yeah. like to go to the in here into the studio, which the cats are not allowed in the studio. It's like in order mm, to get rule. into the studio, you have to pass through the dungeon of cats. 
<laughs> and as soon as I opened the, the top, the, the stairs, you know, or the, the door upstairs leading down to the basement, as soon as I open that, they hear it from down in the basement. So you just hear like, like running up the stairs like this. Oh, like, no. Like, just imagine eight cats running up carpeted stairs all at the same time. Like, yeah. and I've got, meanwhile, I'm like armed with like two cans of cat food in each of my cargo pockets and I'm carrying my laptop and <laughs> and my cup of coffee and so I'm like trying to wade through kittens with with cans yeah. of cat food and and uh then I crack them open and they all just like so they're all distracted for a good five more minutes and yeah there you go. no so no if you hear mewing on the podcast it's not us talking about mewing the Toronto blessing it's mewing, mewing? yeah past Past tense of meow. meow. Really? Mew. I didn't know that it, that it changes that. Oh, let's look it up. Mewing. Here. I, I think it's mewing. All right, let's look up past tense of meow. I'm looking the old Google. But no, it's definitely definitely evident that fall is here, and it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Mm. Yes. I, uh, I was wrong. It's meowed. Mm. I don't know where I got mew. Yeah, maybe that's the old English. Like, <laughs> yay, Fasquire. <laughs> hast thou hast thou seen a cat that has mewed? Yeah. Anyway, no fall is here. Hey, so it was uh, it was thirty seven degrees in my truck's thermometer as I was driving to my office wow. this morning to record like this. Just in your truck's thermometer, it was that temperature. Yes, it was just right that there. cold in my. Just, yeah, and everywhere else, it yeah. was a good. 72. Yeah, no, it's... No, high today's... There's a, there's a nice there's a nice front yeah. rolling through. Unfortunately, my, my in-laws are about to get clobbered by this uh, Ian hurricane. Like, my in-laws' yeah. house is, like, directly in the path. And uh, so, yeah, it's mm. going to be re- pretty interesting. The next, next 24 hours are going to be pretty wild for them. But what were you about yeah, to say? It's hurricane. I was just talking about hurricane season and mm. remembering those days when we lived down in South Florida, how hurricane season was kind of a... A thing when you live in like South and Central Florida, or even North Florida, really mm-hmm. at this point, the months of September through pretty much November, mm-hmm. right, are just kind of you just you just watch and wait, you know, see what hurricanes are going to make landfall, and it's kind of wild. But uh, speaking of cataclysmic events that make landfall, mm-hmm. you think mm-hmm. I did that? Shifted gears. We're uh, talking about some historic revivals today, and we are in our last uh, episode of this installment, Revival in the Land, and we are now in the recent histories of revivals, and uh, the ones we're talking about today are the Toronto Blessing that took place in 1994 through 1999, the Brownsville Revival that took place in 1995 to around the year 2000 or so. And then a smaller movement called the Lakeland Outpouring, and that was only a couple of months that happened in 2008, but I think it's worth talking about. And Gabe and I were talking before we hopped on, it kind of seems like the closer we get to recent history, the more emotional uh, baggage. Or we, we just say, might be baggage might be negative. Like, uh, yeah. and, and maybe that's a worthy term, but like definitely, definitely a response. Like we're going to invoke more emotional response sure. from this because there's people who have, and I said that in the last episode. I mean, as we get closer to people, to, to modern times and, and experiences that people have actually attended, we're going to, we're going to see more 
emotional responses when we talk about these things because we're we're going to have to talk about some of the negative aspects of these things and that might trigger people you know and that's just that's just the reality sure. of it and so hang on yeah and, and and i think uh i think something just before we get going like we have no interest in being the judge or jury to definitively say hey this was of god this was not mm-hmm. of god that's not our place um God can do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. Just because something may be weird to us does not mean that that is not of God, right? But also, just because something may be weird does not mean it is of God. So, our responsibility, as I understand what Jesus told us, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And then he said, beware of false prophets. So to in order to actually do what Jesus told us to do, to be aware of false prophets and false prophetic movements and false, um, you know, religious experiences, we have to examine the fruit of religious movements, examine the fruit of religious leaders, because Jesus told us to do that, so we're not going to be deceived. Um, and to do that, man, we've got to, like, use our discernment, and we've got to really look through this because, man, um, there is great danger in wholesale writing off anything that we don't understand because we're like, I don't understand that, so therefore that that's not of God. But there's also equal danger in wholesale accepting everything that comes down the pike and just going, well, yeah, absolutely, that is totally God. When, man, there may be some aspects of it that are a little bit concerning that you just go, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's healthy for the body of Christ to embrace that mm-hmm. wholesale. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, and to, to piggyback on that, first, first John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test mm-hmm. the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, yeah. right there, it's like, if we don't, if if we don't ever find a false spirit or a false prophet, then maybe our discerning meter is broken, right? And so that that's right. that's definitely a an injunction. It's something that we are told to do with every situation that claims to be a a move of the spirit of God. And unfortunately, right. like we get this like bad this bad rap, or like man, you're you're quenching the spirit or that or that. And it's like no, I'm I'm just trying to be discerning. Like that's that's what the Bible right. tells me to do. Hey, and even so, like we've studied the history of revivals, um, every historic revival we've looked at so far had its set of controversies. Mm-hmm. Some of those controversies came from yes, religious Pharisees that were just like, ah, no, this is this is bad because it's different. But some of that contra- controversy was merited, right? And Jonathan Edwards in the Great Awakening, he was very, very, very insistent on, like. In any true move of God, you're going to have wheat and you're going to have tares. So you're going to have like genuine affections that are stirred by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to have people that are kind of just showing up and, you know, hitching their wagons to this thing and being not of the spirit, being of the flesh, or even worse than that, maybe inviting a different spirit at Mm -hmm. work. So like if Jonathan Edwards could look at his own movement and give some healthy criticism then it's right for us, the body of Christ, to look at these recent movements and to give a dose of healthy criticism. Mm-hmm. So please hear our hearts in this. We're not trying to be the Pharisees on the banks of the Jordan 
as uh, Gabe has said earlier, as John the Baptist is doing his thing, we're, we're showing up and going, well, he's not allowed to do it. No, we're just trying to use a little bit of healthy discernment to go, hey, um, let's kind of just examine this and examine the fruit. So anyway. All right. With that disclaimer in mind, let's get started. So the Toronto Blessing. This was in 1994. So around 1999-ish is kind of when it fizzled down. Um this, this is still uh, a church in the city of Toronto, but it's kind of fizzled down. It was, it was kind of in its height in the uh, mid-90s. So, uh, Gabe, did you hear about this in your circles when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. What do you remember hearing about it when you were a kid? Uh, I just remember like people getting, you know, like, booking flights and traveling to Toronto, kind of like making a pilgrimage up at Toronto and maybe looking for healing and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, yeah. that's, it's kind of a very, very faint memory in my mind. because I was probably really young and remotely disinterested. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I remember this as a kid. I remember the church we were attending in Atlanta, same thing. People would hop on planes and go make, trips to Toronto to, to want to be a part of what was happening there. Um, so Toronto airport vineyard church, and if you're not familiar with the vineyard church, it's kind of a, um, a charismatic, uh, denomination. Um, yeah, really popular, I guess on the West coast. Um, the, the leader of the vineyard movement was a guy by the name of John Wimber in the, uh, in the eighties and nineties. He passed away a a few years ago. But uh, this one particular one was called Toronto Airport Vineyard Church. It was a smallish to mid-sized church, maybe around two or 300 members. And it was pastored by a couple named John and Carol or not. And they invited a guy from St. Louis, his name was Randy Clark, to come minister at their church from January 20th through the 23rd. And uh, little did Randy Clark know he would preach at uh, the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church over the course of the next 60 days continuously, and uh, the meetings would continue for six days each week for the next 12 and a half years, mm. <laughs> which I I can't even imagine, like, yeah, I can't imagine running at that pace, sustaining that. I mean, that's, that'd have to be a move of God to sustain <laughs> that, you know. So the first night of this uh, revival service, there's only about 120 people in attendance. And uh, following the, the message, the whole congregation responds to an invitation to receive prayer. And something happens. There is what is reported by them to be a powerful move of the Holy Spirit characterized by some really intense physical manifestations. And some of this involves people falling on the ground, people resting in the spirit, people say resting in the spirit. They're falling on the ground. They're just kind of laying there, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not really doing much. Some are reporting being in a trance-like state. Um, Some people are shaking, trembling, jerking, laughing, weeping, wailing, all this is stuff that we've seen in other historic revivals, particularly in the First Great Awakening. Um, 
people receiving prophetic words, visions, a range of other mystical experiences. We'll get into some of the other manifestations later. But yeah, starting off in the beginning, it was just kind of like there was a a presence. I've listened to a lot of interviews from people that were there kind of in the early days. They said it was like you would walk into the doors of this church and into this meeting space. And they said it was kind of like his own ecosystem. You'd just be met with just this overwhelming sense of the nearness of God. Hmm. And, um, it was a very, very, very transformative experience for anyone that was there in those early meetings. And so during that first year, you know, that church was again, 200, 300 people, but the, regular attendance size tripled to about a thousand members and meetings were held every night. And, um, people would come from all over the world to come in to attend this revival. Um, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos of services and you have believers from China and believers from Thailand, believers from, um, the Philippines, uh, there's a lot of Christians from England that would come to attend this revival and something would happen is they would come to the revival and they would carry the influence of the revival back to their home congregations. And then you'd see miniature revivals, just like what happened in Toronto break out in their churches. So one of the, um, one of the revivals that was pretty significant happened in England. And, uh, there's a guy by the name of, I believe his name was, Bob Munford. No, last name was Munford. And here's how I know that. It's the guy from Munford and Sons. Dad. Okay. No, Did I didn't. That? Yeah. So he was, uh, no, it's not Bob Munford. Anyway, uh, Marcus Munford is the guy from Munford and Sons, which is, if you're not listening, it's a, if, if you're listening to this and you know, Munford and Sons, it's like a folk band, basically a really popular folk band. And uh, so his mom and dad were leaders in the Vineyard Church in England, Mm -hmm. and uh, they came to Toronto and had a powerful experience with God and then took it back to England, and then they had like a a revival similar to that in England. Um, But there's at least five or six revivals that broke out in um, places like Abilene, Texas, St. Louis, Missouri, the Philippines, England, um, and even the Brownsville Revival we'll talk about later that could trace kind of where that started was back in um, in Toronto, which is hmm. really interesting. Yeah. So Charisma Magazine estimated that 4,000 churches in England and another 7,000 churches in North America had been impacted by this new revival movement. And so you and I were talking about how it was not uncommon growing up to uh, – see people kind of take a pilgrimage up to Toronto to be a part of these worship services from, from a church, you know, and it was probably because of that, because people would go, they experienced what they wanted to experience. And then they would come back to their church with the hopes that, you know, God would, would do that there. So, um, so yeah. And if you are interested, man, you can go on YouTube and you can look up some of the worship services in Toronto and, uh, so I attached some some YouTube links and sent them to Gabe. Gabe, you got a chance mm-hmm. to to watch some of the YouTube clips of that. What was your thoughts as you watched it? Yeah, I mean, it's like 
for those who grew up in the charismatic world, this is probably kind of familiar to you. Um, you know, the, I don't know, very, uh, unstructured corporate worship flags waving. You've got the, the ill-timed shofar blowing. <laughs> so, you know, it's just stuff like that. It's, um, and you know, it's very heavily, um, musically driven. So there's, you know, very mm -hmm. prolonged praise and worship. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm a Presbyterian, <laughs> this is, this is probably hmm. really weird and foreign to you. You know, Stacy, my wife grew up right. in Lutheran. Um, that's just not the norm. You know, it's very, she never would she hear a shofar being blown or flags being waved during praise and worship. <laughs> so, and it would be very liturgical. So that going on, right, right, um, right. prolonged times of like prayer and, um, maybe even like openly, everyone openly praying in tongues. So hmm. for me, that was growing up, that was kind of normal. Like that was a, a average good Sunday for us, but for right. others, that would be not, not the case for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, uh, a lot of people point to Toronto being the thing that kind of kickstarted the, um, praise and worship movement mm -hmm. of the nineties. Cause we talked about how the Jesus people, they really kind of got, you know, contemporary Christian music off the ground. But if you remember in like the 1990s, there was a couple of different worship labels like Maranatha music or um, really Vineyard Worship. That was a big one. And a lot of those songs came out of the Toronto Blessing. Mm -hmm. um, and so the worship was very intimate, very personal, very simplistic. So, I mean, you, you can go watch you know, videos and it's people with a guitar or a keyboard and people are just raising their hands and um, very expressive in their worship. And that was a, to a lot of churches coming to Toronto, a very new thing, you know, mm. um, there's a lot of testimony times, not as much preaching that you'd see in Toronto. It was more people sharing what God had done for them and, and a testimony of God at work. Mm -hmm. But really, I think the the thing that characterized the, the meetings of the Toronto Blessing were the prayer and ministry times where people would kind of line up to get prayer and they'd pray for each other or they'd come to the front and get prayer. Hmm. Yeah, and there's there's this thing in these these circles and it's they they've coined this phrase being drunk in the spirit. And mm -hmm. that's you know, if you grew up Pentecostal or charismatic, you maybe have heard this, you know, but it's like this um it's this idea that you're so baptized in the Holy Spirit and overcome by its power that if, you know, someone were to see you and they had no idea, no, no context, they would assume that you are really drunk. I'm talking really drunk. Right. Like should not be driving. Yeah. Right. And, but the speakers at these revivals is oftentimes like their physical behavior and actions and even speech will sound very inebriated. And um, that was yeah. one of the characteristics of the Toronto Blessing is you see the speakers, um, they, they're, there's a kind of a big thing was like to be drunk in the spirit while you're speaking. Yeah. And, and that's where the controversy mm -hmm. started was that kind of stuff. So not just the being, quote, drunk in the spirit, 
but people laughing uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. And then where it gets even more odd, and this is where, again, the controversy begins, you would see people making animal noises. So people barking like dogs, people, you know, crowing like chickens, people, I mean, seriously, like the most odd, bizarre manifestations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that obviously caused a lot of controversy. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute, but that was kind of the, that was kind of where people would report meeting the Holy Spirit and experiencing these manifestations of the Holy Spirit were during those prayer and ministry times. Um, so yeah, worship, testimony, prayer and ministry, and it was kind of, it would just go for hours, sometimes go till one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. You know, people would come in at 7, 8 o'clock at night, and you would stay there for as long as, as you could, you know, just trying to bask in, you know, that spirit at work. Um, it's kind of how people understood it, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that, but the, the revival kind of peaked in the mid to late nineties. And what most people point to that kind of led to the revival cooling down, um, was a lot of controversy that occurred. And then a lot of coverage of the event by major Christian discernment ministries. So if anybody's familiar with Hank Hanegraaff, he's the, the Bible answer man. He's still on the radio today. You can uh, look up the Christian Research Institute. And are uh, you familiar with no, Hank Hanegraaff? No, not at all. He's, uh, I disagree with him on some stuff. He's, he would be considered a, an amillennialist that uh, hmm. I would say he believes in replacement theology, hmm. but it's just me. But uh, he, I'm, I, I'm indebted to him. He's a very, very knowledgeable person when it comes to scripture and, and church history and things like that. But, um, man, he went after the Toronto Blessing, like wrote a book called Counterfeit Revival, mm. where he went after not just the Toronto Blessing, but also Brownsville. And uh, his coverage of it, his emphasis on it, really a lot of people point to um, some things that happened to really kind of slow everything down. But we'll get into that here in a second. So the theology of this revival was there was a strong emphasis on encountering the Father's love in a close, personal, and intimate way. Um, So it's not unusual to hear testimonies of pastors or ministry leaders or missionaries that were feeling discouraged, that were feeling dried up, that were feeling beat up and wounded, coming to Toronto and just experiencing significant inner healing where they just begin to feel a sense of renewal and refreshment and uh, just receive a touch from God. And there's testimonies all over the place, all around the world of people saying I was delivered from depression. I was delivered from bitterness and anger and addiction and discouragement. And kind of the, the theology was like, God wants us to know him. He wants us to know his presence, and he wants us to know his love for us in the depths of our being. And so people would testify of experiencing that love of God and experiencing that presence of God. It just, I mean, from walking into the room saying, man, there is something 
different. It's like its own ecosystem in this room. And then, you know, people would start to worship and raise their hands and, and they would report, uh, halfway in the middle of worship, just being like struck with a sense of God's nearness and they couldn't even stand. They're like falling to their knees and, and, uh, and I think I've experienced that in a worship service before and it's pretty cool mm-hmm. just to kind of be in a place where you feel like God is just close and, um, what about you? Have you you've ever felt that before as you've been worshiping or being in a prayer service before? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, and I think, oddly enough, like some of the the times I feel closest to God and and feel His presence the most is yeah when I have like worship music in my earbuds and I'm walking through the woods on a trail uh, behind our house, and it's hmm. it's not like a you know, it's just, I can, I'm just surrounded by his creation and, um, he's just peaceful and yeah, but I've never, I, you know, I've never been overcome to the point that I'm like slain and laying on the floor or doing any of that, like sure. manifestations sure, or anything sure. like that. But, um, I've been around that most of my childhood. Yeah. 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 So there was all sorts of testimonies coming out about people experiencing inner healing, experiencing refreshing, experiencing renewal, experiencing um, deliverance. Uh, not just inner healing. I mean, there was physical healings as well. Um, but it didn't really seem like it was a revival that was evangelistic in its bent. We'll talk about another one here in a minute. This one seemed to more be about the church being renewed and restored in the sense of the church encountering the the spirit of God and the love of the father. Hmm. And, and this is, I'm using language that the leaders of the churches involved used um, in, the, in the vineyard movement. And so that was kind of the, the emphasis that was kind of the bent, but the controversy that started showing up, almost all of it centered around the bizarre manifestations. So you had these amazing testimonies coming out of Toronto, but you also had witnesses of some pretty bizarre stuff, like people shaking, people jerking, people writhing on the floor, but specifically people making animal sounds. That was the, that was the one that <laughs> really set off the discerno meter on a lot <laughs> of people. Um, right, rightly so. Right. So, uh, there were discernment ministry leaders and other Christian leaders, a guy named Andrew Strom, our buddy John MacArthur. He seems to be a big fan of the charismatic movement, John MacArthur. Alan Morrison and Hank Hanegraaff, they uh, called out the Toronto Blessing. Some of them called it out because they're strict cessationists, so they had a bone to pick with charismatics and Pentecostals. But others, like Andrew Strum, would consider themselves Pentecostal and charismatic, and they even still called it out and said, hey, what we're calling out is not the manifestation of the charismatic gifts. We're calling out some things that seem to not be of God, Um, one of which is something that is seen in the Hindu kundalini yoga tradition, and that is called a shaktapat and a kundalini awakening. So if you study the kundalini yoga tradition and you see how people who are studying this 
sect of Hindu uh, yoga, the way they respond when they experience a, an awakening is they begin to twitch and they begin to writhe on the floor and shake and jerk and even make animal sounds. And so some Christian leaders were saying, hey, that's what we're seeing in Toronto. We're not seeing those manifestations being a result of the Holy Spirit. We're seeing those those people are manifesting a different spirit, mm. right? Mm. And so all of this controversy, all of this criticism kind of came to a fever pitch in December of 95, and the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church was released from the vineyard movement. And the reason they were released was because of this tension over the extraordinary manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So the bizarre, weird stuff, even the vineyard movement was like, hey, that's too much for us. Um, the methods used to logistically manage the ministry time during the services. And then the concerns basically like, you guys aren't managing this well. And and so here here's kind of like where I want to be sensitive and compassionate. You're a church of two, 300 people. All of a sudden you start doing revival service meetings and every night you've got three, 4,000 people from all over the world coming in and you don't know who these people are. You don't know their background. You don't know anything about them. You're probably going to get some weirdos coming in. No, right? no, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Hmm. Can you imagine? I mean, what if that happened to your church? 4,000 people. You have no idea who these people are. And they start showing up six nights a week. And your job is to manage and practice oversight over making sure there's no funny business going on. How do you I do just that? I would roll into the fetal position. I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, yeah. What was that thing called? Sh- Shaktapat? Yeah, I think so. Shaktapat. Sounds like something my, my dad would do after a second cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, Kundalini is fun to yeah. say too, like a redneck. Yeah, Stacy and I, Stacy and I have an inside joke about Kundalini. We should, this is probably really messed up, but we'd be like, we imitate like that conspiracy theorist, like uh, older conspiracy theorist guy with a southern accent, and we will be like, it's them Kundalini's man, it's just them Kundalini's yeah, the got them. Stacy and I joke about that. <laughs> Uh, this is not funny. an inside joke anymore. I guess not. You just shared it with the whole world. Uh, so that was the controversy. Obviously, the biggest coming with the vineyard parting ways with Toronto. And so it kind of cooled off with the vineyard distancing itself from what was happening in Toronto. So the aftermath of the Toronto blessing was that there were tons and tons and tons of ministries that got started, the churches that got planted, and that, um, yeah, a lot of revivals broke out as a result of what people experienced at the Toronto Blessing. So I'll just read a few, and then we'll kind of talk about it. Uh, Harvest International Ministries is a ministry that went on to plant thousands of churches in over 60 nations. Iris Global... um, run by a woman named Heidi Baker, came back from Toronto to Mozambique. She planted more than 10,000 churches across Asia and Africa. Uh, The organization provides food for 10,000 children every day. Have you ever heard of Heidi Baker and all that, which I don't agree with everything Heidi Baker is about, but man, you can't deny that she is. um, She's done some amazing things in Mozambique, but that's traced back to uh, 
um, Toronto. Um, Bethel Church, which if you've heard us on the podcast before, I'm not a big fan. Gabe's not either. But it's undeniable to see their influence now in the church at large. Um, so one could say they they are very influential in the church at large. Well, Bill Johnson had an encounter at Toronto about a year before he took over leadership at Bethel. So one could trace kind of their origins back to mm-hmm. that. Uh, a guy named Nicky Gumbel, who popularized the Alpha Course, which the Alpha Course is a evangelistic course that introduces the basics of the Christian faith to non-believers. It was kind of piloted in the Anglican Church in the mm-hmm. UK. So he came back from Toronto and really just went gangbusters with the Alpha Course and just so many people were introduced to, to Christ in the UK in the 90s and early 2000s because of the Alpha Course. And uh, a study was conducted that surveyed a 1,000 people who visited the Toronto Blessing, and close to 90% of them said they were more in love with Jesus than they had been at any other point of their lives. 88% of married respondents stated that they were also more in love with their spouse. Hmm. So that's a miracle. Restoring marriages, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. So yeah, so that's the Toronto blessing, and we could still see its impact even to this day with some of those ministries that I pointed out. Um, but in its day, we got to be honest, it was pretty messy. There were some amazing testimonies. There was lots of great fruit. There were churches planted, missionaries sent out, marriages healed, ministries saved, pastors that were close to quitting, being empowered to continue going. But at the same time, people barking like dogs and people... Manifesting some weird stuff. So, hmm. Gabe, what do you make of that? How do you understand that? <laughs> it's hard because I can't go back in time and visit it, and I can't really formulate. Right. And even if I did visit it, it's like how many times you got to visit it to give it like a good trial, you know, and and understand how if mm-hmm. it's all if it's worth it. If the scales are tipped in the good, you know, I don't know. So, yeah, that's that's really really tough, man. Um, I think in everything, there's like the, like you said, the wheat and the chaff. There's people that are there for um, distracting. There's people that are there for uh, sowing seeds of division, of confusion. It could be that even the leaders are, are part of that. But um, then there's there's times, I think, when God moves through that anyways. And um, sure. I just don't, I don't know. And I, I hate to be a cop out again. And just when you ask me so, opinions on these, it's like, you know, I, 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 well, well, let me ask you it this mm-hmm. way. How, how would you pastor somebody? Like, okay, the year's 94. Mm-hmm. You've got a glorious mustache, mm-hmm. and you're tucking your bugle boys yeah. into your passive my pleated, jeans. My pleated right? jeans. Yep. And your, uh, your church has some folks that come to you and say, hey, Pastor Gabe, mm-hmm. it, it's 1994. There's an outbreak happening Hold on, in I Toronto. can't hear you. We I need to turn up. my Petra down real fast. Okay. All right, what, yeah. what was that? Go ahead. <laughs> hey, uh, Pastor Gabe, you're listening to your Petra. We just came in with our Carmen on our Walkmans, mm-hmm. too. So, But we want to head up to Toronto, and we want to see what God's doing up there, and we want to bring back the fires of Toronto to our church down here in Dothan, Alabama. Do we have your blessing to do that? What would you say? Mm. Well, the the going up there and experiencing it, I mean, you're welcome to do that. Like, I, I support you in, in being curious and checking it out. I would say in terms of bringing that fire back here, let's pump the brakes a little bit and let's research and make sure that 
what is the the fire that is burning up there is what we want and is doctrinally sound mm. and is is of God. Um, let's just let's just mm. let's just do our homework on this a little bit. And right, you know, those people get let's say let's say you get back from the Toronto blessing and you're all fired up and you're excited about what happened and everything before. I hand you the microphone to share all of your experiences and to basically put a stamp of approval on everything that's going on up there. I would want to have coffee with you as the attendees and kind of get a debrief. How was it? What did sure. you see? Yeah, what did you experience? Yeah. Um, is this something that you feel is like, you know, a move of God? Was it doctrinally sound? Did you hear the gospel being preached? Um, was it a coherent message? Those sorts of things. And, and, um, so yeah, that's probably what I would do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's wise. I think that's wise. And honestly, for people who are in the you know, charismatic tradition or the continuationist tradition, right? They're cautious charismatics that were open to to God moving that way. This was probably one of the the hot button issues in 94-95 if you're mm-hmm, a pastor, mm-hmm. right? people in your church that are hungry for God. They're hungry for a move of God. They're going up to Toronto. They're experiencing some new things. They're coming back going, wow, God did this in me. Can God do this here? And so pastors were trying to figure out, okay, I I, want to be open to a move of God, but also want to be responsible in pastoring it because it kind of seems like the controversies and the mess that happened in Toronto were a result of people not being able to, to really pastor it well and kind of supervise some of that ministry time well. And so you led, led to some really odd stuff happening, but yeah. So that's Toronto. So less than a year later, kind of in really the height of the Toronto blessing. Um, we started hearing stuff about a revival happening in Pensacola, Florida in a place called Brownsville Assemblies of God. And Gabe, you grew up not far from Brownsville Assembly of God. You actually visited mm-hmm. the Brownsville Revival. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure this was probably more in your orbit than yeah. even Toronto it's, was. Of all the revivals we've talked about, this is the only one that I've actually stepped foot in and been a part of. Yeah. So uh, in 1993... Pastor by the name of John Kilpatrick, who pastored Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida, started praying for revival so constantly and so fervently over the next two years. He went so far as to tell his church, if you guys don't want revival, if you guys don't want to pray for revival, then maybe I don't need to be here. Maybe I don't need to be your pastor. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a prophetic word given from Dr. David Yongai Chul pastors Yoido Full Gospel Church, or pastored Yoido Full Gospel Church in Seoul, South Korea, which um, coincidentally, I used to live in Yoido mm-hmm. in Seoul, South Korea when I taught English over there. So it's pretty cool. I drive by that church, biggest church in the world for a little bit. Oh. So kind of crazy. They're kind of known for being uh, the place of prayer. They have a prayer mountain where people will go do prayer retreats. But uh, anyway, pastor of that church, Give a prophetic word that said God's going to move in a mighty way. And so for two years, you had people in this church praying and asking God to send revival, to send revival, to send revival, to send revival. Uh, 
So on Father's Day, June 18th, there's an evangelist named Steve Hill, and he was the guest speaker. He had been invited by Kilpatrick. He was a teen challenge mm-hmm. guy. And Gabe, you know that ministry mm-hmm. very well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he graduated Teen Challenge, and I remember him, or he and my dad talking about Teen Challenge. My dad was a director of Teen Challenge in West Florida, so yeah, they had a very, um, oh. very similar connection there. Yeah. So he had a powerful testimony how God had delivered him from addiction, and he was kind of uh, everything you'd expect with a guy who'd been delivered from addiction and had a passion for evangelism, just a very, very passionate speaker about people knowing Jesus. And uh, so on Father's Day, June 18th, 1995, witnesses told of a mighty wind that blew through the church during the ministry time at the end of that service. And the Sunday morning service bled into the night service. People just never left. People just wanted to stay in the room, in the, in the sanctuary, just to pray and to worship and to just experience God. And, you know, keep in mind, everybody in this church had been praying for this for two years, right? And so at a Sunday morning service, something happens, and all of a sudden everybody's like, we just have to be in the room. Like, we we have to be what, we have to be where we feel like God is moving. Mm-hmm. And so then they kind of call an audible and say, hey, we're, we're going to keep meeting. Like, let's let's come back tomorrow night. Let's do a nightly revival uh, for you know, however long God does this. And so Steve Hill had plans to go to Russia, but he canceled all his plans. And uh, he started preaching each week for the next five years uh, for Tuesday through Saturday evening revival services. So they would have Monday off, and then, of course, Sunday was church. They had Sunday morning and Sunday night services. But Tuesday night through Saturday they'd have worship services or revival meeting services and they would have a packed sanctuary and you had to wait in line to get in. Um, so Gabe, you, you mm-hmm. went, did you get into the main sanctuary? Did you have to go to an overflow room? Yeah. I remember we took a bus. Um, it was like our youth group from our church took a, took a van over there, like a 15 passenger van. And we got there early enough that we went into the main sanctuary. And in fact, um, I was sitting on the floor in front of the front row and uh, yeah, oh, so wow. I was just you know, maybe f- fifteen feet from the actual stage itself. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, what people report experiencing, and um, this is pretty common of the Browns revival. The biggest was salvations. Steve Hill was an evangelist, and so he would give altar calls at the end of every service. And people from all ages and races and socioeconomic conditions would pack out at the altar every night to receive Christ or to uh, really surrender a lot of stuff going on in their life. Many people were set free from addiction, and obviously, with Steve Hill kind of having a background in Teen Challenge, that was a that was a big emphasis. Uh, supernatural healings, so people with diseases, uh, people that had. You know, tumors, people reported tumors reportedly shrinking. Um, a renewal of people's faith. So people reporting being struck by just the holiness and presence of God in the room. And so if there was a, 
Um, anything that could be said about the Brownsville revival in terms of just repeated testimony was that people were just struck by just the nearness of God's bigness and his holiness and his presence. And then um, there were also reports of odd manifestations. So people being slain in the spirit, which if you grew up in the Pentecostal church, not that odd. But if you're Lutheran coming in off the street, odd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, so like some of the, just the normal spiritual gifts that if you grew up Pentecostal, you're like, yeah, tongues, prophecies, people falling out. Okay. Whatever. But then again, twitching, shaking, crying, laughing, those kinds of things. Those were also in Brownsville to a lesser extent than they were in Toronto, but they were also in Brownsville. Mm-hmm. So what do you remember services being <laughs> like when you went? Uh, they were much tamer than what I've seen of like the Toronto blessing, the Toronto outpouring. Uh, this was a, this area of Florida is a much more conservative fundamental area. So uh, everyone was in coats and ties and, you know, dressed up very modestly, very traditionally, um, the speaking and, um, what's his name? Steve Hill's speaking was, rarely like a drunk in the spirit kind of speaking, but he was very, uh, very um, passionate. Um, Sure. So it was was like kind of like, it was like Toronto blessing with a little bit of more like Baptist mixed in. It was, it was, there was no flags waving. There was no shofars blowing. Um, There wasn't even like people coming up on stage and being like kicked in the face and all that stuff. Like it was like, it was, um, It was, it was well. It was well pastored. Would Possibly, you say? Possibly, like yeah. It was a little yeah, bit more, yeah. And yeah. I, it was hard because I was okay. I was so young. I was maybe like fourteen years old, and on sure. the trip was a girl that I had a crush on. So I was kind of fixated on her. <laughs> so your attention was not really on experiencing the power yeah. of God. It was more on yeah getting a date. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but no, I do I do remember yeah. it was. Um, I remember one. Actually, I remember one of the songs they played, and it's, it still stuck, sticks in my head every now and then. And, um, but it was, so the, there was very gospely feel, like Southern gospel. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so you could go on YouTube and you can watch whole services from the Brownsville revival. And in researching for this podcast, man, I've watched a couple of them, and some of them are just incredibly powerful. Um, just. Uh, the testimony. So worship was a really big deal in Brownsville. It was very, very upbeat at times. It was very worshipful and intense at other times. People would report encountering God's presence in worship. The, the worship leader uh, was a guy by the name of Lyndall Cooley. He actually uh, lives in Nashville. And uh, some folks listening to this podcast have a personal connection with Lyndall. And... Um, yeah, I've never met Lendl personally, but I've crossed paths with several people that are close friends with him and have nothing but amazing things to say about him. But he uh, he was the worship leader, and so, man, there was just some really powerful worship during Brownsville. There were testimony times. There were people that, before they would get into the waters of baptism, because they'd have baptism nights, would just say, God delivered me from heroin. God delivered me from alcohol. God, you know, just... All sorts of testimonies of that. That was a pretty common thing, just life change. And then Steve Hill would preach. And when I say preach, like it wasn't like, you know, Toronto is very much people just kind of sharing stories or sharing thoughts or, you know, hey, God, put this on my heart. Steve Hill would get up there and just, I mean, 
if you grew up in the Pentecostal tradition, you know what I'm talking about. Just like preach down the fire of God. I mean, just, you know, talk about salvation and talk about repentance and talk about like the judgment of God and the wrath of God if you didn't. But also talk about the mercy and the goodness of God. And then they would give people a chance to respond. Um, a song that would be sung almost every night was a song called Mercy Seat. And a worship leader named Charity James would sing that. And people would respond at the altar to receive Christ and get prayer. And that was kind of how these revival services were structured. Again, if you grew up in the Pentecostal church, you're like, yeah, that's a typical revival service. And it was that. So the revival kind of came to an end as the leadership moved on from Pensacola to do other things. Steve Hill moved to Dallas to pastor church. Lyndall Cooley moved on in 2003. John Kilpatrick also left in 2003. So it kind of cooled off after that. There was a a school of ministry that started in uh, Pensacola. A lot of people, you know, um, went to school there and and, uh, had some good things to say about that. But really the theology of the Brownsville revival was life change. So, Repentance, conversion, uh, being sure that if you're saved, you've got fruit of that salvation. And the fruit of that salvation was personal holiness and increased love of God in your heart. And if you didn't have increased love of God for your heart, where, man, you love Jesus more today than you did the day before you, then then maybe your faith isn't everything that you think it is. Um, you know, there's Steve Hill sermons you can look look up and, you know, one of them is called Show Me the Fruit. Um, one of them is, um, I'm trying to remember the title of his sermons. He always kind of had the clever yeah. AG titles Living for in sermons Sodom and stuff. But was another one. Uh, yeah. He he had, I mean, he was a very, something, appeal, something about him appealed to me in the sense that he had a very um, teaching vibe when he would speak. I mean, there were like, it was punctuated by like the very charismatic, like fiery Pentecostal preacher. But then he would, it would kind of calm down and then he would begin to teach. And he really harked on a message of like holiness and uh, being, being set apart in a world that is, that is not. And, um, you know, I I really, he kind of had, he had more compared to, was it Randy Clark at Toronto? Um, Compared to Randy Clark, like he had this very like sound mind, like level, like just he was, you could tell like he was just all there and speaking and teaching sure, and sure. that just appealed to me more than this like idea of being drunk in the spirit and then just like mm-hmm. talking a few words and then just like kind of just contorting and then saying a few more words and then contorting. <laughs> sure, sure. So that's, that's, that's my kind of take on, on Brownsville was, um, and it's interesting cause that's the only one I've been to, uh, in person. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was a, it was a positive experience. Yeah. 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 So that was, you know, testimonies that came out of Brownsville were a lot of people responding to just a very clear message of a very simple message of like, hey, if you know Jesus, you shouldn't be compromising. If you know Jesus, you should be holy. You should have love in your heart for the Lord. You shouldn't be addicted to pornography. You shouldn't be addicted to alcoholism. You you should be sold out for him, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think about pastoring in the South, you know, cause I, I pastor in a small little Southern town. Um, 
as simplistic of a message as that sounds, that's a pretty radical message for people who grew up nominally Christian. That this has got to be real to you, you know? So, um, even though there was great fruit coming out of the Brownsville revival, there was controversy. And the controversy, yes, was about some of the bizarre manifestations, but some of the, the larger controversies were from the secular media sources there in Pensacola, the local newspaper. But what's kind of interesting is the local newspaper kind of tag team with discernment ministries, and uh, which I just think that's funny. Like, you've got people that don't know God at all coming after the Pensacola or coming after the Brownsville revival. And you got people that are within the church also say, Hey, we'll come after him too, you know? And their criticism was that the testimonies and claims by the leadership of Brownsville assemblies of God, um, about the start of the revival and the impact of the revival were exaggerated and overblown. So, Hmm. Basically, they said, hey, you guys are talking about how, you know, there's a mighty move of God and God's done all this stuff. But, man, that's that's highly exaggerated. You're not able to prove any of that. So one of the claims that the Brownsville Symbols of God was making is that the crime rate Pensacola was going down because of the revival. Mm-hmm. And the secular newspaper is like, no, that's not true. Like that you have no way to prove that. That's exaggerated. Uh Leaders in the church saying no politicians are visiting the revival are getting struck down by the power of God, and the newspaper saying okay, which politicians? Mm. And they're like, well, we're not going to say. And so it was just this kind of, um, yeah, criticism of saying you guys are just overblowing this to try to really, you know, promote it more. Um, yeah. So I, I that's kind of a. I don't know if you grew up in the church like I did and like Gabe did, it kind of seems like, and I'm not saying that the people in Brownsville were doing this. I'm not saying that at all, but it kind of seems like that's kind of a pitfall for a lot of pastors and ministries and churches to kind of exaggerate. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah. make sense? I'm trying to be careful because I'm not saying they were doing that, but I, I've seen that happen before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got, I mean, in these situations, like you gotta, you gotta know and, and, no, no, with certainty that someone the critics are going to come against you, and everything's got to be done on the up and up. And if it's not, yeah, they're going to find that and use it to discredit any effort you make. With you know, whether that's a revival or not, you should do everything on the up and up and be completely honest. And if yep. it's not a truthful statement, it's not one hundred percent accurate. You should you should be careful for sure. Sure. Yeah. So a lot of people came after the Browns revival because of that, and then obviously some of the bizarre manifestations which those were a lot tamer in Brownsville as they were in Toronto, but there was still some of that. And so people came after them with that. But uh, the aftermath is that Brownsville Assembly of God has stated that more than 200,000 people gave their lives to Jesus during the Brownsville revival, which is incredible. It's amazing. And by fall of 2000, there was 1,000 people who experienced the revival, and they were taking classes at the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. And uh, some friends of mine uh, went to the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. That's where they really encountered Jesus and and got shaped and formed in their faith. So, yeah, so you see not just people being saved and called to ministry and set free and things like that, but you see people also returning home 
to their congregations from Brownsville and kind of an outbreak of many revivals. And the Assemblies of God was kind of a uh, struggling denomination, but uh, they kind of experienced a resurgence in the late 90s, 2000s because of that. So very, very, very formative um, movement happened in Brownsville. So, And really, Gabe, I think, you know, we went to, we started at Southeastern in 2003, so that was kind of on the wings of the Brownsville mm-hmm. Revival. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we heard that when we started at Southeastern which was in the Assemblies of God Bible College. People talk about Brownsville all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, so Lakeland, Florida is where Gabe and I went to college. We started college in 2003. I finished in 2006. Gabe, you graduated in... 2003. No, I'm sorry. Uh, two, 2000. Um, <laughs> yeah. one, you did it in one year? <laughs> sorry. Uh, 2007. Spring of 2007, I graduated. Yeah. Gotcha. But you and Stacy lived in Lakeland from 2000. You guys got married in 2007, and you lived in Lakeland. Yeah, like 10 when... more years we lived there. So the entire time the Lakeland Revival okay. was going on, we were there. <laughs> the entire four months the Lakeland Revival yeah, was going on. yeah. Hey, so give everybody, if they've never heard of Lincoln Revival, quickly, like, what what happened? Like, you, you were living in Lakeland. What did you hear about it? What did you know about well, it? Well, it was kind of a, to give more context, like, it was kind of like, hey, it sounds bad, but like an obscure church in the north part of town called Ignited Church. It was a, it was a break-off, split church from main church, which really put Lakeland, Florida on the map, which is Carpenter's Home Church, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest mm-hmm. uh, churches in, in the United States. It was massive church. Um, it split, it had a series of splits. and But anyways, one of the one of the split off groups from that formed Ignited Church. And then, I don't know, I just remember someone mentioning, I was uh, teaching school at the time, and I remember someone mentioning, uh, oh, you're, no, I was teaching, I was teaching school in Tampa. And one of the staff members of the school was a worship leader and he asked me hey i'm going to be leading worship at the lakeland revival tonight are you do do you ever go you should come out and 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 join us tonight and i was like lakeland Hmm. revival i was like i didn't know there was a revival in lakeland you know i live there and uh so I went home and I was looking it up and looking at some videos. By then, you know, YouTube was kind of getting established and people were putting videos on YouTube. So sure. um, I was looking it up and um, right away, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to hold back. I'm just going to just going to say it because, you know, I'm yep. entitled to Do that. It. But I did not feel peace about it whatsoever, like so mm-hmm. far from having peace about the, the revival and the speaker, Todd Bentley. And um, I didn't openly criticize. I didn't openly like uh, – slander the man i just said no i'm just not going to participate and i didn't never did step foot there Hmm. yeah and your concerns were shared by many 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 people um so the lake and revival was only about a four month ordeal or six month ordeal um and if you've never heard of it there's yeah it's probably for good reason because it was so short-lived and it was probably the most fringy of all the ones that we've covered. Um, so, yeah, this guy, Todd Bentley, was a faith healer. His his bio lists him as an evangelist, but he's 
if you've ever heard him speak, he doesn't share the gospel. It's not like Steve Hill or any of those guys. So he's invited to do a one-week revival, and he stays there in Lakeland for over a month. They were at the Lakeland Civic Center. Is that right, Gabe, for a little uh, bit? I think the airport. They, mo- they moved out to this uh, okay. like auxiliary building at the airport. Gotcha. Okay. So I think they started at the church. They moved to the Civic Center. They outgrew the Civic Center, and then they moved to the auxiliary building um, where about 10,000 people would come mm-hmm. nightly. So what made the Lakeland outpouring just blow up as much as it did is this was the first revival that was streamed on the Internet. (laughs) Mm. So this is the early stages of YouTube. This is the early stages of live streaming. Uh, This is you had Christian satellite channels like for DirecTV and Dish Network and stuff. There's there's one channel called God TV. And so this. These revival services start going up all over, you know, God TV, all over Ustream, and people from all over the world start watching, and then people start streaming into Lakeland, and uh, by the end of, like, the first month and a half, people estimate 100, 140,000 people from over 40 nations had visited, and 1.2 million people watched it on mm-hmm. the internet. And by the end of June, so two months in, 400,000 people from over 100 nations had come to Lakeland to see what was happening in Lakeland. So that just gives you a, a sense of just the impact of it. I mean, it blew up fast, and it was huge very, 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 very quickly. Um, so as soon as it got off the ground and it was blowing up and people were like, oh, my gosh, this is could this be the next Brownsville? Could this be the next Toronto? Could this be the next Azusa Street? You know, whatever. ABC's Nightline came in to investigate Todd Bentley, the leader, specifically coming after his finances and his divine healing claims. And some days after the broadcast came out, his ministry said he's going to take some time off. They kind of put the broadcast for the Lakeland Revival on hold. Um and after that, it never was quite the same. He came back and did some more meetings. But on August 11th, Todd Bentley stepped away. And the reason is he admitted to his staff that he and his wife were separating. And he resigned from his ministry. And it would later come out that he had an extramarital affair. And he had an alcohol addiction during his time of ministry in Lakeland. Mm-hmm. And so shortly after that, in the month of October, so this started in April, got to his height in May and June. Then around late summer, kind of some things come out about Todd, and then he steps away in August, and then everything fizzles out by October. So, I mean, it's very Mm short-lived, right? Especially compared to Toronto and Brownsville that lasted years. So what were the worship services like? Gabe, have you watched some of these on mm-hmm. YouTube? Yes, I have. It, it <laughs> robbed me of so much time yesterday as I watched videos of the of the Lakeland revival. Yeah, uh. yeah, and you can basically go watch every night of it if you mm-hmm. want, because again, these were all streamed mm-hmm. uh, in the early days of YouTube and streaming. But uh, basically, the service structure was people would come in this old airport hangar. Or an auxiliary building at the Lakeland. Yeah, Airport. it was like a it was like a tent, like a stage, and there's like a field in front of that, and people would 
would stand in front of yeah. this stage. Yeah, so you had 10,000 people. 10,000, that's a huge room, right? From all over the world, many of them who'd probably been in Toronto and probably been in Brownsville, they're coming expecting something from God, mm-hmm. which that in and of itself is enough to get, I mean, just the, the, the atmosphere, like, full of faith like that. You know what I mean? Like, even if God's not in it, just an atmosphere full of faith, I think God can move in spite of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just me, yeah. but so the music would happen and the music was different. It wasn't like music in Toronto. It wasn't like music in Brownsville. Um, if you've ever seen a picture of Todd Bentley, the guy had like tattoos all over him, which Gabe and I are not anti-tattoos. Gabe has tattoos all over him. I've got tattoos too, but Todd was kind of a new generation, kind of a bad boy preacher that rode a Harley and had a neck tattoo. Well, and, the one time I, so so we talked about me tuning in and watching one time just to, when I was, this is back when it was going on and I was living in Lakeland. I just happened to catch him say the phrase, an angel told me to get a new tattoo. No, oh, Lord. I, can, You've never had that happen? You've had an angel tell you to get a new tattoo? That's, and I was just like, you know, and at that point I was like, you know, I, I wasn't super into theology or into the Bible or anything like that. I was super illiterate in much of that, yeah. but even then I knew this is weird. This is on a different yeah. level. Yeah. So the music wasn't like in Toronto or, or Brownsville that, you know, there was a lot of focus in Brownsville and in Toronto on the intimacy of God and the holiness of God and the bigness of God and true worship. This music in Lakeland was, very high octane, heavy rock. It would drone and go on for over an hour of just, and, and and a lot of music was just focused on like commanding God to come down and commanding God to give a miracle and, you know, show us your glory. We want to see your glory, God, and that kind of thing. And so people would just get whipped up into a frenzy. And then Todd Bentley would come out. And instead of him preaching like Steve Hill would preach, or instead of him, you know, inviting, you know, testimonies of people from the mission field on China or anything like that to come out and share what God is doing to them, he would come out and he would basically talk about himself and how he had healed people. And he would share testimonies about reports of previous miracles that happened at other nights of revivals, or he'd tell stories about things that happened at other things, or he would tell a vision of an angel he saw, or he would, you know, this person said this. And and he would get people kind of whipped up, and then people would come up on the platform to have Todd Bentley pray for them. And this time a ministry would go on for an hour, or not an hour, several hours. And so... The theology of the Lakeland outpouring, as it was called, was that the focus was almost exclusively on supernatural healing, miracles, and manifestations. Almost exclusively. Mm -hmm. And the focus was almost exclusively on how God was using Todd Bentley and this particular anointing, I'm using that word in quotations, to heal people and perform mighty miracles, not God doing whatever God wants to do and showing up and, but how God was using Todd, how God was showing up in Lakeland specifically, and that you needed to get on board with what God was doing in Lakeland or you weren't, or you were just missing Mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. Right. So here's what made it so controversial. 
Todd Bentley would do things like punch and kick people as he was praying for them, and he would say the Holy Spirit told him to. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, I'm not making that up. His catchphrase as a faith healer is that he would lay hands on people, and instead of, you know, him saying, Lord Jesus, please touch this person, he would yell, BAM! BAM! Like, into a microphone and, like, push mm-hmm. them, right? <laughs> and they'd fall, and they'd convulse, and they'd... Um, and that was kind of his catchphrase. I mean, you had to come up and, you know, oh, I got to get Todd to, to ban me, right? He would claim to have visions and revelations from an angel called Emma who would talk to him. And that was, I guess, what, like, communicated to him about stuff was Emma. He would constantly talk in his meetings about how dead people were raised. Uh, like, one point said that over 25 dead people were raised in a single meeting. And every one of his claims were unverifiable. It was always just this church he spoke at one time or this place that he heard this one story or this one. And and nobody was able to verify, okay, did that actually happen? So he'd basically get up there and talk about anything he wanted to talk about. And nobody questioned because, like, wow, God's at work, right? And then it was later discovered he was – he had an alcohol problem and he was having an affair on his wife during most of these ministry times. So that was the biggest controversy the other controversy were the finances. Every night there was a ton of money rolling in and lots of asks for money, and yet there was no financial controls or disclosures on where that money was going. Anytime people would ask, they're like, we don't have time, but God's just moving so quickly and you know, moving so you know, so much, we don't really have time to worry about that. And so um, those are the two biggest controversies. And then, of course, the manifestations were everything you'd expect when you get 10,000 people from all over the place. But there was so much criticism because of those that even the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God issued a statement cautioning Assemblies of God members against revivals like Lakeland. And so the aftermath is, man, as quickly as Lakeland showed up, it fizzled out. And, uh, you don't really have any significant or lasting testimonies of missionaries sent out, churches planted, or even I've never heard of a single salvation or conversion coming out of Lakeland. I, I'm sure there probably are. Mm-hmm. I just haven't heard of it. So if, if you're listening and God touched you mightily in Lakeland, we'd love to hear about it. But um, yeah, man, that's Lakeland. So what was different in Lakeland than all these other revivals we've looked at? Uh, well, I would say that that was the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of teaching on scripture in general. Uh, right. <laughs> it was maybe 2% of the entire corporate worship service was spent actually teaching the word of God. Um, there was, there was very evident public scandal. Um, it was short lived. Um, yeah, it just it's just really sad, really, really sad. And why do you say it's sad? Because it profanes the name of God. And mm-hmm. there is a lot of really wonderful, big-hearted people who traveled there, were emotionally invested in it, 
um, mm-hmm. really had their faith maybe encouraged by it. But at the end, they have to they have to look at that and say, "What happened?" They and and I, yeah. I can't help but think that there is a little bit of doubt that came into their their minds and in their faith because of that. Um, sure. Yeah, it's. Did it seem more? I mean, we've gone through and watched YouTube videos of Toronto, of Brownsville. We've read accounts of First, Second Great Awakening, Azusa Street, all those. Is it just me, or does it seem like the Lakeland revival, in many aspects, was a very performative? Like it just felt like you were watching people put on a a vaudeville <laughs> show. It. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Um, and and here, here's the thing: it's like. When you talk about the Lakeland Revival, there's a 50-50 chance that the, per- the person you're talking to about it is either they've been there and they had a really positive experience and you dare not say anything negative about it. Or someone's like, I've been there mm-hmm. and it was really bizarre and weird and I don't want to talk sure. about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's really tough. Well, and so I'll say this kind of in the spirit of how we started off the episode as we bring the episode to a close. God moves, saves, heals, restores, and pours out his spirit on whoever he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he wants to. So I'm not denying that people got touched and people got helped and people might have even experienced God in a powerful way at the Lakeland outpouring. It very well could have happened. As a matter of fact, I want to say just, I'm sure it probably did in many aspects. Mm-hmm. But that was God moving in spite of some significant sin, mm-hmm. some significant scandal. And um, yeah, for those reasons, I I, I, I would never if I was pastoring in Lakeland, Florida at the time and somebody from my church said, Hey, we want to go to Lakeland and we want to get whatever's happening in Lakeland, you know, at the, this revival, I would probably say, Hey guys, like I, I really just don't feel at peace about this. Like, I don't really feel like you need to be, you need to be there. And, and again, some of listening could go, well, you're just a legalist, mm-hmm. Josh, man. I, I have seen so many people that gravitated towards these fringe movements get so wounded and so confused and so burnt out that they walk away from their faith completely. Mm-hmm. And so I think for those reasons, we have to be wary of men and women like Todd Bentley, which, you know, he submitted to a restoration process by some of the folks who were around him. And I pray that God restored him. And I pray that God, I pray he's walking with Jesus now. Right. But I think he would probably say, even if he was listening now, that, well, I don't know. I don't know his character, but he was not, he was walking in sin, right? And he was doing some things that were wrong. And so, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, man. It's like, first, I don't know what I'm first saying. Corinthians 13, love does not gloat over other people's sin. And that's, that's not what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's just we're trying through these episodes, really encourage people to practice discernment. And yep. yes, we crave a move of God. Yes, we crave hearing God's voice and seeing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we crave revival. But don't Amen. do that to the exclusion of testing the spirits. Like in First John, test the spirits. There are many yeah. false prophets that have gone out into the world. 
and just be very careful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, thank you guys for listening and being with us for the long haul through parts one, two, three, and four. Um, little birdie tells me that our next episode might involve some ladies. <laughs> Sounds really bad. It does. <laughs> our wives. Our wives, that's, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the only ladies. Yes. Only ladies we need to be involving in this podcast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so anyway, looking forward to that. But uh, hey, uh, if you have any feedback, and I hope you do, and, and please like Hero Hearts in this. So if you're going to send us a scathing email saying we're Pharisees condemning all the Holy Spirit did in these movements, we're not. But if you have any feedback and, and man, you want to talk about any of this, or maybe you were present in any of these, send us an email. We'd love to hear with you. We'd, we'd love to, if you're local, if you're in the Nashville area, man, let's go get a cup of coffee. I would love to sit down with you and talk with you about this. Cause again, like we're coming at this from a pastoral perspective and we want to coach people through using discernment and honor the Lord. So reach out to us, send us an email. We'd love to talk with you. And, uh, what yeah. If, what if Todd Bentley reached out to you and wanted to have coffee with you? <laughs> I would yeah. as long as he yelled bam when he took a sip of his coffee. As long as he kicked you in hot. the face with his biker boots. <laughs> bam! Bam, bam! <laughs> You're like, what's wrong, Todd? <laughs> a lot of caffeine in that espresso. Glory! I walked into a coffee shop right. the other day and I was like, hey, uh, what it remind me of the Americano. Is that, does that have a, is that espresso? And she's like, yeah, it's basically espresso in hot water. And I was like, so it's basically coffee. And she goes, <laughs> you can see, she just like looked up and she was like, yeah yeah it is wow i was like so you're paying 15 percent more for something called something else in americano yeah Yeah. anyways that's funny all right everybody thanks for listening see you later Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.